Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 190 of the podcast for January 7th, 2014. We're celebrating the release of my friend Karen Martin's new book called Value Stream Mapping, which has just been released. So Karen and I are going to be talking about that new book. Um, We're going to talk about how value stream mapping um, can be used in in different types of organizations, why it's important for senior leaders to be directly involved in strategic value stream mapping, what are some of the common struggles that people are facing and and other topics like that. Um, A good conversation about her work and her new book. Um, You can find the book on uh, Amazon and, and other major bookstore sites. You can go to leanblog.org slash 190 for links uh, to the book, links about Karen's other books and and some free webinars that Karen uh, has put online about value stream mapping. So I hope you enjoy uh, the podcast. And for all past episodes, you can go to leanpodcast.org. Well, hi, Karen. Thanks for returning uh, and being back on the podcast again. Thank you for having me, Mark. It's great to be back. Yeah, so it's been about a year and a half since we talked about uh, your last book, The Outstanding Organization. I know you've been busy working with people and, and, and continuing to share concepts from that book. But here you are with with uh, another book about value stream mapping. That's the title, Value Stream Mapping. Um, so if you could kind of tell the story you know, about the book, why, what motivated you to focus on this as opposed to other topics and, and, and you know, what inspired you to, to write the book? Ah, yeah, good, good question. I think that I did these books in kind of a weird order. I, I actually just wrote a hierarchy out yesterday of my books. And really, when you think about it, The Outstanding Organization is a foundational book. And then Value Stream Mapping would be the next layer down. And then Kaizen Events, Kaizen Event Planner is the next layer down. And then metrics-based process mapping is kind of parallel with the Kaizen Event Planner. So I guess I'm doing things a little in reverse and then a little screwy in the middle there. Um, <laughs> but it, it came from, you know, the, Learning to See, Mike Rother and John Shook's book came out in 1999. And so here we are almost 15 years later. And it's a seemingly weird topic to be publishing another book on. But what motivated Mike and I to write it is that after all those years and talking with organizations and seeing organizations really struggle with how to apply value stream mapping, especially in non-manufacturing environments. And then even within manufacturing, we saw the tool a little more broadly and deeply than I think many organizations and many lean practitioners did in that they, I think a lot of people were viewing it as this, you know, mechanical tool to design a future state and get waste out of a out of a value stream and we saw it and we see it as a much more transformational tool from a leadership mindset and behavior perspective and a cultural shifting perspective so we we felt like the ship had not sailed completely and it was time to look at value stream mapping in a couple different little way different ways yeah so i'm curious to explore what um, some of these struggles are because you know there's certainly been a lot of value stream mapping activity. Some of it probably helpful. Some of it maybe you know becoming a, a form of uh, of wallpaper uh, that that people proudly display, but doesn't maybe lead to a lot of um, organizational transformation. I mean, what what are some of the struggles that that you see out there that you're hoping um, you know that you know to head off um, you know by by sharing your experiences and lessons in your book. 
Well, we have, I think, eight pages of the perils of value stream mapping. So, that, so there are many. Yeah. Um, some of the more common ones are seeing people literally like what you said, wallpaper, you're spot on. I mean, so many times we see these beautifully designed value stream maps, but when we ask, so, you know, how are you doing in transforming to this future state that is so wonderfully designed and, and there's like this you know, blank stare. And so, you know, as always, execution is always tough in an organization and it's even tough with my own clients. You know, even when I'm there, pushing for them to keep moving forward on executing that future state there's just so many distractions and the you know lack of focus that exists very often at a leadership level you know and the ability to be distracted just keeps organizations from actually realizing that wonderful design and that that's hard to see an organization not realizing their full potential that that the value stream map promises so that's a that's a very common one is that value stream maps are done at far too low a level in the organization. And I mean too low in terms of being in the weeds and being you know, more of a process map, which right. they were never meant to be, and also having too low of a person and a team involved in mapping so that they're not able to make some of the strategic decisions right. that a future state would require. Yeah, I mean, I, I've certainly seen that happen in hospitals where um, you know we've, we've got a team of frontline staff, frontline managers from different departments. And so we're taking this you know, cross-functional view of the value stream, which is, which is good. But then we uncover these issues that require, um, uh, you know, as you were saying, the much higher level of leadership to help resolve um, some of those issues or, or help avoid sub-optimization or, or poor, poorly designed incentives or you know, siloed incentives. Um, so maybe on that note, I mean, you talked about leadership. Um, why is it important to have leadership involved or uh, aware of the issues involved with value stream mapping? I mean, you know, how would you pitch things to senior leaders about why they should pay attention or even be directly involved in value stream mapping? Yeah, uh, good question. So current state and future state maps uh, actually probably require slightly different teams if you did them from a purist mm -hmm. perspective, mm -hmm. but it's not practical to do that and it's actually not advisable and here's why. So for the current state, you know, oftentimes leaders at a director or above level in the organization aren't familiar with the details of how work mm -hmm. happens and what the, the performance metrics are with that work. And so the, bi the, the tendency is to bias the team toward those lower level people who know how the work is actually done and can report metrics and all that. But then what happens is when you get to the future state design, that level of person isn't going to have the authority to say, let's merge these two departments together or let's remove this department from a process. You know, they just aren't at that power, at that level of power. And if you keep them being in the design seat, then after the map is done, then there's this whole sales process that has to go on and excessive lobbying to lobby this future state design to leaders that have the authority. And there's so much that gets lost in translation in that lobbying process that it just almost never works. So, you know, the way to bridge that gap is to either gather more data up front before the, the mapping so that we have the data, or better is to go to the Gemba during mapping, which is highly advisable, and gather it from the people who are doing the work. Now, just one quick thing, in most non-manufacturing environments, the data is very difficult to get. 
So the people, when you go to the Gemba, aren't necessarily going to have the, the data that you're looking for. So there's a you know, fair amount of sleuthing that we do up front to find out what's available. I call it what's gettable, what's gettable data and what's not. And you know, to figure out how we're going to get through the current state with this le- leadership level on a team. But they, they have to know. They have to understand this work and how it flows from a macro level. It's wildly important for leaders to understand workflow and see the holistic nature of how departments are interconnected or not. So it's I'm I'm kind of, you know, firm feet firm on the ground on this this team needs to be primarily, not exclusively, but primarily directors and above in a hierarchical type of environment. Now, do you find it challenging to get those senior leaders uh, to participate? I mean, it's a common problem, I think, with Kaizen events, a topic you've also uh, written a book about. Um, it, what, what, what sort of um, you know, strategies or uh, have, have you found to be successful or advice would you have for others who are trying to get senior leaders to, to, to participate? Yeah, so it does require a fair amount of education up front for them to understand why on earth they would be involved with quote, mapping, unquote, you know, mm-hmm. because that's what the other people do. <laughs> um, and so you have to help them understand that this is indeed strategic. That's the first thing. And that, you know, they wouldn't want people saying, hey, let's get rid of this department and merge these two together and move this over there. And you know, mm-hmm. um, they wouldn't necessarily want, you know, that kind of strategic decision making being done by people at manager level or below. Um, so that's one thing. Second thing is, you know, I say to them, you know, look, you can come with me into a room for three days and we can hammer this out and you can have a solid plan to move forward on or you can keep living the pain that you've been having for how many years? Mm-hmm. You know, it's your choice. And, you know, there are rare cases where we absolutely cannot get together for three consecutive days, which is what I advise. And in that case, we just have to deal with a whole lot of rework um, because it takes a while to get your mind wrapped back around the issues and remember where you left off and all those things that separating it and having a gap between the different stages of mapping will introduce into the process. So it's, it's not easy. I mean, I have all kinds of pleading and begging and cajoling (laughs) and, and, you know, just straight talk, frankly, um, that has to go on to convince all the leaders that need to be on a team to in fact dedicate that time to solving big organizational problems. Yeah. So you do most of your work these days in, in different service sectors, correct? Um, you know, I would say that I personally am involved in fewer manufacturing value streams than healthcare, financial services, government, military, um, distribution, uh, oil and gas, utilities. I do you know all that. But interestingly, right now, over 50% of my client base that I'm physically involved with and not my team is manufacturing, which is odd for the last five years. But mm-hmm. it's just, you know, it's just one of those quinky dinks <laughs> that yeah. I'm working. And I'm working with them on the entire, I call it the mother value stream from concept to actually from cradle to grave. So it's all the way from product concept through development design, you know, manufacturing, shipping, and then, you know, everything after, you know, revenue collection and then um, possibly in the case of pulling a product off the, out of the marketplace, that's often included as well. So they're big value streams. How much do you see people really looking at uh, a true 
end-to-end -end value stream? Maybe it depends on how you define end-to-end, -end, but do you, do you see people wanting to look at the really you know, broad systemic issues or are they asking you to come in and look at uh, maybe a more narrow uh, part of the, uh, the overall, if you will, extended value stream? Well, yeah, it does depend on the fence posts and where, you know, I always sing the song, you know, where does it begin <laughs> and where does it end? Um, yeah. They kind of go on and on in both directions. Um, I usually get brought in for pretty big chunks of a value stream. And if someone wanted to work, for example, just on the quoting process or just on discharge processes or just on, um, you know, a mortgage, well, that's not true. Mortgage application, I would use value streams for, but it's something pretty narrow. I might skip a value stream map and go to a process level map, but I almost always try to convince the client that looking at it from a value stream perspective first, no matter what it is and no matter what problem they're trying to solve, they often, you know, will sub-optimize because they haven't looked at it from a value stream perspective. But, you know, I, I've done value stream segments. So, for example, I've used value stream mapping for just a purchasing process, but it was a big, complex purchasing process, hmm. you know, or just discharge. Actually, I had a hospital where I used value stream mapping quite effectively for just the discharge process, but there were, you know, eight handoffs in the discharge process. And so looking at it from a flow perspective first before they dove into the weeds mm -hmm. was highly effective. Yeah, because one, one thing I've, I've recommended, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, is to often start with a really, you know, high-level value stream view of, of you know people want to dive into the weeds and like, you know let, let's not do a value stream map with 437 steps let's look at the <laughs> departments or what some people will call the, uh, the the big chunks in the process and then once we've identified maybe where the biggest opportunities or um, i don't know if you use you know the starbursts or the other you know, uh, mm -hmm. on, on the map um, then to to dive into uh, more detail and and what we might consider a process map Absolutely, because what happens if you don't do that, and I've seen it, you know, for I've been at this for over 20, well, well over 20 years, <laughs> um, what happens, and you have seen this too, is that you spend all this time at the micro level with 400 blocks, but some of that work may have been completely unnecessary and just be a time sucker that keeps you from making improvements. So the value stream app does allow you to get above the work and look at it from a macro perspective so you can figure out where do you need to do the deep dive. Mm -hmm. Much more effective use of people's time. And my goodness, you know, you have a hard time convincing people to come in for three days. Why not use our time really, really wisely in making improvement? You, you talk about the three-day time frame. Um, what, what are your recommendations in terms of the amount of time that this should take? And, and is three days almost, I mean, I'm sure it depends. It's a classic uh, lean or six sigma answer. How long does it take to value stream map? It depends. <laughs> um, why, why, you know, why, why three days? Um, can you do it in a day? Would it take a week? What are your thoughts on, on that when you set expectations? Yeah, so if you are looking at a fairly healthy chunk of a value stream, we call it a value stream segment, mm -hmm or a true end-to-end -end value stream, you know, from order to delivery. Um, and, and I'm, when I say order to delivery, I'm not even talking about revenue collection and, you know, possibly decommissioning a product or, or you know, the whole after, after party, I call it. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm not even talking about that. But if it's a pretty decent size where you're going to have 5 to 15 and sometimes 20 blocks on the map, it, my experience has been that it takes a full day 
for everyone to truly understand the current state, especially if we're going to go to the Gemba, which I highly recommend, and we're going to do a deep dive into you know the environmental issues that may be at play, not not just process issues, but all of those. If you want to do a deep dive into the current state, and this is without getting into the weeds, by the way. It still takes a full day for an entire team to get to the point where they see the current, the truth about the current state mm -hmm. through the mm -hmm. same lens. And that's the whole goal of the current state map. It's to just get that deep understanding so that you're in a better position to design. So, you know, if not that, then what? Yeah. Um, and so then the second day, and by the way, the, the current state often bleeds a little bit into it the second day on a three-day activity. It, it, the current state takes a while to get through. Yeah. And then the future state often moves much more quickly because if you've done that deep dive, and if, I don't usually do a whole lot of formal root cause analysis at the value stream level. Mm -hmm. I usually do that more at a process level. But if you've done some kind of big level root cause analysis and I've gotten the level of clarity that makes for a good current state mapping experience, then the future state design becomes much, much easier. And it's much more easy to know what the appropriate countermeasures are because you've done that deep dive. So the future state should be done more or less at the end of the second day. Mm -hmm. And then the third day is putting together the action plan. We call it a transformation plan on how are you going to get from current to future? What has to happen? And it results in a, you know, in my case, use an Excel based tool that has line items for every improvement that needs to be made. And again, these are macro level improvements. So this isn't dictating how, this is more what mm -hmm. has to happen. Um, each one of those line items has an owner, a target completion date, and then I use a, a Gantt-ish kind of chart, you know, to show complete, you know, start and end, end uh, times for the improvement planned. Yeah. Um, so it, it just takes a while to get it all the way through to an actual executable plan. Now, you talk about um, future state. Some people talk about um, you know, a short-term or mm -hmm. a practical future state versus uh, a longer-term and ideal future state. Do you like to, to break it down that way and, and do multiple future states, or how, how do you approach that? Uh, I would love to. I, I rarely have the, the time in a mm. client engagement to do those multiple states. So, you know, it's hard. I'm hard pressed to get them to commit to three days <laughs> and it takes three days to get, you know, something that's executable. So in the planning, we didn't talk much about planning yet, but in the planning process, um, Mike Osterling, my co-author and I are huge believers in charters, pro team charters that are both communication tools or consensus building tools and they're planning tools for the event or the activity and that talks about time frames so you know sometimes an organization has a, a, a really key deadline like an acquisition or you know some kind of a new regulatory requirement that's effective as of a certain date that requires rethinking the value stream or you know, some you know some competitors coming out with a new product and you get intel about that and you know you want to get racing to the market or something like that so there's a hard date if there's not, then I ask the client to consider how aggressively they want to move and to consider the cultural implications. You know, because I think a lot of a lot of clients want to take on too much too fast, and they're subject to not only excessive distraction but also implosion, where they can't possibly absorb that amount of change that quickly. Mm -hmm. And you know, it takes some conversation with leadership to kind of, you know, scale back the expectations on how fast their organization can move given what I know about their organization. 
And so um, the first time I heard about a 90-day time period was when I went to an LEI workshop, oh my gosh, probably 10 years ago. And they were suggesting that value streams, you, know, you look at about a 90-day improvement window, and then you remap and start another 90-day window. So you're doing these constant PDSA or PDCA cycles. Mm -hmm. And so I recommend that, but I've got to be honest, even though I, I like that in theory, most of my clients choose a six- or nine-month period because they just don't have the discipline yet and the appetite to go back over a value stream again 90 days later. 90 mm -hmm. days is lickety split in <laughs> corporate speak, you know? Right. And so what I would like them to do and what I think makes sense theoretically is not what is actually happening in my experience in the real world. I'm going to throw you a bit of a curveball here. You, you were on Twitter mm -hmm. and you were like talking this. about uh, a contest and a promotion you're doing asking people – you know, what value stream do you think needs most fixing in the world? What would you like to be involved in? So, Karen Martin, what value stream would you want to see fixed uh, oh my out there in the God. world? Have you I've got a this? list of a thousand. <laughs> no, but so pick one. <laughs> What's the um, most, okay. need, most in need of improvement? Oh, God. Okay. Um, healthcare. And I'm talking about, you know, any aspect of patient care and healthcare. Yeah. And you know this. I mean, this no, is sorry your we haven't fixed it yet. No. Yes, I'm sorry. You, Mark, what, Mark Graven, what have you been doing with your time? Um, you know, it is just such a mess. And you yeah. know, I started in healthcare. I had, I had almost 20 years. Well, no, it's not true. I had 15 years of exclusive healthcare experience, working in all aspects of healthcare before I, you know, kind of dove into this other world that I'm now in. Mm -hmm. And it's just so sad because my heart and soul, my DNA, my cells are wrapped up in healthcare. But it's just – the problems are so big. It doesn't mean there's no hope. Mm -hmm. But it just is going to take a lot more courage than I see right now to make the dent that we need to make as quickly as we need to make it. Yeah, I like the way you put that. It takes, it takes courage. It takes courage for people to stand up and say, you know, for example, like, you know, like Paul O'Neill – who was trying to influence healthcare in, in, in Pittsburgh and has spoken nationally and, and has been involved um, in, in a lot of healthcare advocacy to, to stand up and say, we should not be harming anybody. Right. In, and, and no employee should get hurt um, in the course of their day. You know, I admire that FetaCare sets that bar high and, right. you know, and, and others uh, are, are, are trying to push people in that direction, but they're still so much for room for improvement. And um, I, I think value stream mapping is so powerful in healthcare. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, of course. It, it's so helpful in healthcare because things have been so siloed. Um, the, the specialization has increased so much to where the silos are narrower and, and deeper and sometimes less connected to the overall patient experience. Um, There's such huge opportunity. Um, what, what, what are some of the things that you see going on out there, things that you've been involved in. Yeah, it, it's well, it's powerful in any uh, environment, but it's real. To your point, it is really powerful in healthcare because they have never, often, they have never looked at it truly from a patient's perspective from beginning to end. 
And so, you know, for example, value stream apps I've been involved in with in healthcare is the whole outpatient, you know, imaging experience. The whole, well, I mentioned the discharge, which I consider to be a value stream segment. Mm -hmm. The whole ED patient flow, emergency department patient flow experience. The whole revenue cycle, that was a very mm -hmm. interesting one to look at the amount of errors being made and the amount of rebuilding and rebuilding and rebuilding and re rebuilding that's mm -hmm. being done that you know keeps people from doing other things and keeps hospitals being burdened with excessive labor not that they should be laying off but you you know you don't need as many people to do work when you don't rework all the time right or we can reduce delays for patients and and take care Absolutely. of more patients uh, when 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 that's needed yeah right and so i found where i get my biggest high so far in health, in doing value stream mapping in healthcare is the freed capacity of nurses to be able to get to the bedside and do what nurses are what they went into their careers to do and what patients need and it's like it's a win 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 and um, so one of the things, for example, when I was value stream mapping up the discharge process and we saw this just, you know, enormous problem with medication reconciliation upon discharge, I mean, I had no idea it was as bad as it was. And one of the things that we did in the future state, you know, crazy innovative, I introduced them to pair programming, what software design often uses. And it was a, a tough sell to convince this hospital that they would gain efficiency by putting two nurses on med rec, not one, two. Right. We're trying to improve and, efficiency, Karen. <laughs> right, 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 right. Oh, my God. We, you know, you're going to throw off our productivity. Um, and it was wildly successful. And they're now out you know, talking about it to all of their sister hospitals. And they're experimenting in many, many different settings with pairing. So, you know, that, I think there's just this freedom that nursing has to do the right thing and to feel good about their work and to not have the morale issues that nursing has. I mean, my heart goes out to nurses. Mm -hmm. They're in an untenable position in many, many organizations. And value stream mapping offers just a great kind of lens into what's, the real, what's really going on and how to solve it. Well, and, and those system issues and, and the things we talk about are things we uncover with value stream apps. And, you know, I found sometimes people go through the cycle of, you know, what, they're, they're beating themselves up. Oh, my gosh, we see how broken the current state is. And, and, and they're, they're putting that blame upon themselves. And I found myself telling people, you know, look, this is nobody's fault because nobody designed this. It just That's happened. Right. That's right. And the future state is an opportunity to actually step back. And this is what people find, I think, empowering and, and exciting and like, oh, we can fix this. Yes. You know what? <laughs> I, I just had this revelation. And, you know, you have these revelations after you turn a book in and it comes off press and you're like, ah, if uh, only I had uh, thought about that when I was writing. Um, but I had this revelation yesterday that part of what the transition phase between current state and future state is about is giving people hope. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting. We don't talk about hope in business circles, but when people are beaten down and frustrated with the amount of chaos that they deal with day in and day out, hope is a great anecdote to resistance mm -hmm. and hope is, you know, the way forward. And, and so I, I, I'm going to do some thinking more about this before I even blog about it, but I just really want to think about this all concept of bringing hope to businesses. And of course, it has to be followed with execution, but I think hope is a good place to start. Yeah, when, when people start seeing that possibility, um, yeah. it's, 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 it's great to see how people start to turn from despair to, uh, to, to optimism. 
Right. Especially in healthcare, where, where the work is so important. Um, but so one other thing I like to cover here. Um, you didn't say the one value stream you want to improve is the book publishing value stream. And <laughs> I've been through this a few times and, you know, I'm not picking on your publisher. I'm not asking you to, I might be picking on my publisher um, a little bit, mine. but, but, you know, it's a similar thing. Like, like nobody designed this. There are different departments. There are different silos where everyone is good at their job, but things take forever yeah. um, to get through um, the book production value stream from you know author handoff and submission to uh the book being physically in your hand like your book is right. physically in 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 my hand um today at the end of that value stream i mean wh what are your reflections having published through different publishers and, and and different different books on you know if you if you were brought in as a consultant what would what would karen the consultant want to look at or, or see as opportunities for improvement in the healthcare value stream healthcare or publishing Oh, I'm sorry. Publishing. See, yeah. healthcare is always on my brain here. Sorry. Yeah, well, no, the as publishing. It, as, it, as it should be. The publishing so quick, value stream. Just yeah. a quickie. Yes, you're right. <laughs> I didn't mention it. But because I find that to be um, a little more of a kind of um, a selfish reason to improve a value stream. Whereas healthcare, I mean, my God, there are so many people affected by it. But publishing, oh my gosh, it is so ripe for improvement, as any author knows. And they, the publishing industry to date has been so not interested in looking at it. I've offered free value stream mapping <laughs> services to both of my publishers, and neither one of them have taken me up on it. I will fly for free to New York, <laughs> and I will spend three days value stream mapping the process mm -hmm. and showing them you know, how ridiculous it is and how crazy it makes their lives. It's not just authors. It's the people that are living in this dysfunctional no, you yeah, know, environment. Yeah. Oh, that... I, I feel bad for the editors sometimes the same way I would I feel do. bad for a nurse or a pharmacist. or yeah. Know. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I've been very vocal with what I see. I mean, I actually, as a lean leader or whatever you want to call us, you know, lean, I don't know what we are, but a, a coach, whatever we are, I feel obligated to point out opportunities for lean improvement all yeah, the time. Yeah. And I just did it at a restaurant um, at lunch because, you know, the restaurant was empty. They've got all that fixed cost there. And the restaurant was empty because I tried to get reservations there for the holiday lunch for my staff. And they said they were closed on the, on the website. So I went to a different restaurant that happened to be two doors down. But when <laughs> I pulled up, the, the place is open. Yeah. And there were literally two tables in this gigantic, beautiful, you know, three, four-star restaurant, empty. And I was like, well, you guys, you have to put it on your website that you're open. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, but back to publishing. There is yeah, – I'm not off the hook there. Let's come back okay, to publishing. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I would start – literally, I would start with um, the submission process, whether it comes in from an agent or an author directly, and I take it all the way to retail. I, you know, I did that with Hallmark Cards. It was all the way from creative all the way through – the manufacturing process and into retail where you have a card in your hand and you're walking out the door. And it was, yeah, I think one of the most transformational activities they spend. And I do the same thing with publishing. Mm -hmm. And I still, if there's anyone listening from publishing, my offer still holds for free. <laughs> and you're not the only podcast guest. Um, I think he actually, 
I'm trying to think if he actually said it in a podcast. It would have been five or six years ago. I, I won't name names. But a very a, a good friend of yours and mine, a very well-known yeah. lean author, went to a, <laughs> a major publisher and offered the help. And they said no because they didn't see a problem. And I guess maybe that's part of the challenge with any uh, process improvement or lean improvement or value stream activity. First off, pe people have to agree that there's a yes. problem to right. be able to go and, and want to work on anything, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's psych 101. It's like, you know, you're not going to get a drug addict to go through treatment of any sort until they reach, you know, in many cases, rock bottom, unfortunately, mm -hmm. and then realize, A, I have a problem. That's the first, that's the first step. And a lot of organizations don't want to take that. Or a lot of leaders don't want to take that. I think the people below the senior leadership level are well aware of the opportunity. Yeah, and there's these gaps. And so maybe bring it back to the, the, the core of the issue as we wrap up here. I mean, value stream mapping is hopefully a way of, of creating that visibility, that understanding. And maybe, you know, this final question here. You, you've talked recently about uh, value stream mapping really needs to be strategic, not tactical. Cause, so can, maybe as a way of wrapping up, can, can you talk about that point? Because I know it's something you, you, you feel strongly about. Yeah. So again, this gets back to the, you know, don't go into the weeds if you don't need to and get above the work so you can see this is really about looking at gaps, disconnects and redundancies at a macro level and rethinking the order of which in which work occurs mm -hmm. and rethinking the people who are best suited to do work in you know particular areas. And this isn't a staffing discussion, but it's, you know, who are, you know, should sales be doing that or should estimating be doing that? Should a nurse be doing that or should a health unit coordinator be doing that? You know, and, and those kinds of discussions are strategic. Yeah. You know, no one, no one at a lower level can make those decisions or no one at a very low level can make those decisions. So it's, it's getting above the work and creating the blueprint for where you want to go. So I, the analogy I always give is like, you know, you're in, I'm sitting in San Diego, you're in, where are you, San Antonio? San Antonio. So, you know, if you want to go on a vacation, you've got to make a decision if you want to go to Hawaii, Miami, or Boston before you figure out the route you're going to take. Mm -hmm. So this is that same kind of activity is deciding where do we want to go and then we get into the how, the tactics of how we're going to get there. Which highway are we going to take? Oh, there's a detour there. Let's go this way. Oh, we want to go and see this site. Let's go that way. You know, those kind of tactical decisions happen after value stream mapping. Mm -hmm. Well, great. Well, well, Karen, I think it's it's time to wrap up, but um, can you do a quick rundown of, of website and, and different places people can get in touch and, and follow up. You, you offer so much in terms of free webinars and, and you're, you're blogging now and, and, and the content that you make available. I, I want to make sure people can find that if you, if you can tell people where to find you. Sure. So my main website is KS, as in Sue, ksmartin.com. I also have karenmartin.com now, finally. Oh, <laughs> and good. Yeah, finally. Do, do you um, have and, KF Martin in case people hear you wrong? <laughs> no, Karen S as in Sue. And people always go, is it Karen S as in Sam? And I go, well, yeah, sort of, but S as in Sue works. Um, yeah. And uh, so ksmartin.com, karenmartin.com. Uh, the webinars are on the Learn tab of my website as well as on Vimeo, YouTube, and now SlideShare has webinars as well. So they're everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> And, and I guess people can always uh, do a Google search and um, 
find all uh, the, the the stuff you're putting out there. They can they can find uh, on Amazon all of your books, and I definitely encourage people to check out your work. So, Karen, it was great talking to you again. Let's do another podcast before 18 months goes by. Let's do. Um, it was really great. It's always fun to talk with you, and you ask great questions. So let's let's do it sooner than later. Okay. We, we don't have to wait for um, yet another uh, book to come out. So we'll, we'll I think you might be, yeah, you might be waiting a while if you wait for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think I'm taking a break from having babies. <laughs> <laughs> well deserved. So thanks, uh, thanks for your work, and thanks for being a guest here on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Mark. You're a great host. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.